Hey, GBC, it's great to see everybody today, and uh, like Josh prayed, we're all bringing different things with us to church. There's a lot of us here in this room who are, just to be uh, candid, are bringing difficulty and suffering, and so let's come together today and come to God's Word because we all need Him. Um, Again, Great to be together. I'm going to read our text for us in a minute, which is Luke 19:45 through chapter 20, verse 26, and we're going to continue to see Jesus and the certainty he brings in uncertain times. And our passage today, the big idea, is going to center around the authority of Jesus. And I wonder, when you hear me say the word authority, what immediately comes into your mind? Is it maybe a particular person that's had authority in your life over the years? Maybe a parent, grandparent, maybe a teacher or a coach, maybe even a boss. So what comes into your mind when I say authority? And then I'm also curious what feeling emanates inside of you when you hear the word authority. And basically, have you had overall a good relationship with authority or a bad relationship with authority, okay? So that's what we're bringing to our text today when we hear about the the idea and the truth that Jesus has authority. And unfortunately, I'm sure many of us have had bad experiences with authority. And as I was thinking about our text this week and just the truth of it, um, what I'm going to share, I'm sure many of you in this room unfortunately have been through too. But uh, in summary, many of you know I have worked for years in corporate world. Felt like the office a lot, and there was one instance that'll always stick in my mind when I think about authority. I'm not going to use names to protect the, not really innocent, but protect people. But I was in a meeting with this new leader, so like a head of a department, right? Like an AVP type guy. And it was a lot of people in the same room and then others coming in on a conference call. And I didn't know what to expect. This guy's authority. He's a new leader. Okay. Well, this authority figure, it took all of about two minutes into this conference call, and I'm, I'm not making any of this up. You know, like, oh, that's funny. It's like the office. No, it's not funny in real life. This guy basically just berates people, right? This one person asks a question and makes a, a point, like on the PowerPoint slide, right? Point number three, and this guy just goes off, goes off for about five, four to five minutes, shaming this person, ridiculing this person, berating this person to basically prove who the silverback is in the room, right? To prove that he's the authority. So when I hear the word authority, I just can't help but remember, oh, wow, that was crazy. Some of you probably have had situations maybe kind of like that in your life with authority too. And don't we kind of just intuitively know, like, that's not how authority should be used. We all want good authority rather than bad authority, don't we? But then to press this even a little bit further... In each of our heart of hearts here today, if we're being really honest, it seems like we don't really actually want authority at all. What we really want is authority on our terms. And Josh recently shared an amazing quote by Ryan from The Office that encapsulates this really well. So let me read it for you. Ryan says this about authority. I got away with everything under the last boss, and it wasn't good for me. So I want guidance. I want leadership. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. Doesn't that speak really well about how a lot of us really feel if we're being honest about authority? Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. 
So we have an authority problem, it seems like. And well, the Bible, I'm going to read our text for us here in a minute. When the Bible speaks about authority, it's not just something that's over us. It's something that's underneath us. It's something that really we build our lives on by who or what has authority over us and under us. So we either receive good authority and we experience life, or we reject good authority and we experience destruction. That's what we're going to see here in our text. We're going to see the glorious reality of Jesus' authority and an authority that demands a response. So in honor of God's word today, we're going to go old school. If you could please stand up, and I'm going to read aloud our text. Luke 19, verse 45 through chapter 20, verse 26. This is God's word. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the, with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? 
They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Father, we need you today. We praise you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Lord, I pray today you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to treasure wonderful things from your word. We praise you that your word always accomplishes the purposes for which you send it. Father, many of us here today are feeling burdened and weary. We ask that you strengthen and encourage your saints today. Lift our eyes from ourselves to Jesus. Grow the roots of our lives more securely in the grace and truth of the gospel. Give us hearts to repent and believe. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so have your Bible open in front of you and put your finger on the text. Again, we're starting in chapter 19, verse 45, and we're going to explore three different questions together today from our text. First question is, where does the authority of Jesus come from? The second question is, what are ways we resist the authority of Jesus? And then the last question is, who is your authority? So first, where does the authority of Jesus come from? That's the central question in our text today. And to kind of get a little bit of backdrop to it, so we're not just jumping in and missing the context. So throughout the book of Luke, haven't we seen Jesus exercising his authority by what he says and by what he does, by his words and his actions? And then remember the key verse in Luke back in chapter 9, verse 51, says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. So that sets up the arrival of Jesus entering the city, which brings us to last week's sermon that Jordan preached, right? The arrival of the unexpected king, the triumphal entry of Jesus up into Jerusalem. And what did the people sing and praise to Jesus when he entered the city? Do you remember? Remember they sang Psalm 118, which is really a psalm about the Messiah. So this tees up and brings us to our text today in chapter 19, verse 45. Jesus enters Jerusalem, which he set his face there. That's what we've been building to. But he doesn't just step inside the city gate and he's like, hey, mission accomplished. No, he goes straight to the heart of the city. He goes straight to the temple. His mission took him not just to the city of Jerusalem, but to the temple itself. And this is because the temple, when we just kind of take a step back and think about Luke, it's been central to Jesus' mission the whole time. Remember back in chapter 2, it was in the temple courts where Simeon took baby Jesus and he praised him for who he is. It was in the temple that Jesus first voiced he was the Messiah. And then remember back in chapter 4, it was on the highest point of the temple that the enemy tempted Jesus to stop his mission. So the temple has been a key setting for Jesus' mission and his life to this point. And then from this point on, from chapter 19, verse 45, through chapter 21, the temple is actually going to be Jesus' pulpit. So have that in your mind as we're going to explore the text today. And then what does our text say that Jesus does right as he enters the temple? For those of us that grew up in the church, we're probably familiar with this scene, right? What does Jesus do? 
he drives out those who sold. Jesus goes right to the temple and he's concerned about false worship. So the king of the temple really walks right into the temple and cleanses it. And then in Matthew chapter 21 and Mark 11, we learn that Jesus cleansed the temple in this way. So I want to make sure we have the clear understanding because of where he cleansed it. He cleansed really the court of the Gentiles, which was the place where non-Jewish people could come and worship and pray. So Jesus cleansed the part of the temple where uh, foreigners would be brought in, right? Where outsiders would be made insiders. But there's been this scam that had been happening for years. Jesus knows about it. He walks right in and he cleanses the temple. And so we know what Jesus is really about. He's always fulfilling the Old Testament. So we have Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. They're going to color the layers and the textures of what's happening here. So Isaiah 56 highlights that this, again, was the part of the temple that was to be a place of prayer for foreigners to worship God. But again, this has become corrupted, so Jesus cleanses it. And Jesus calls it, look down at your text, what does he call it? A den of robbers. It's not by accident Jesus uses that word. That's from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. So Jesus, the true temple, drives out false worship from this temple. And then remember, Jesus is doing this on his way to the cross. So Jesus is cleansing the temple as a preview for becoming the true and better temple to bring salvation to all people. It's what Jesus cares about. That informs his actions and his words. And then again, look at what the text says. What does Jesus call the temple? He uses scripture and he says, my house. He identifies the temple as my house. And then what does he do? Not only does he cleanse the temple, look at what he does after he cleanses it. He's teaching. And then in verse one of chapter 20, it says Jesus is preaching the gospel in the temple. Like what an amazing scene that Jesus is doing here. So just so we know what Jesus is doing to summarize, right? He's cleansing, he's restoring, he's preparing, he's teaching, and he's preaching. Jesus is acting like he's the owner of the temple because he is. The authority of Jesus, again, that's a big idea of our text, it's on full display here. But then, whenever we're confronted with the authority of Jesus, it always brings a response. So how do the religious leaders respond? They ask Jesus, tell us, as if they have authority over him, tell us by what authority you do these things. So really, probably their question behind that question is, who do you think you are to march on up in here and tell us how to run our temple, right? So tell us, by what authority do you do these things? So they didn't really, it's interesting their question, they didn't really take issue with the things Jesus said, or really what he did, Their question was the implications of what he said and did. Tell us, by what authority are you doing this? So then what does Jesus do, right? We always love to just see who Jesus is. What does he do? He answers their question with a question. Always a classic move. And they're religious leaders, but what happens? They're more interested in their safety. They don't want to get stoned by the people, so they don't answer Jesus' question. So then, this kind of sets the scene to the core part of our text today. So the question really still hangs in the air at the end of verse 8. By what authority is Jesus doing these things? Where does Jesus get his authority from? 
So what does Jesus do to answer this question? He tells a story. He tells a parable. And really, what he tells the parable about, his story is about a summary of the whole Old Testament. What did God's people, the nation of Israel, do over and over again? Didn't they reject and kill the prophets? Right? So that's really the story behind the story here. They mistreat God's messengers. And then notice verse 13. What does the vineyard owner do? I've been sending messenger after messenger. They get shamed. They get killed. They get mistreated. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my beloved son. And then the wicked tenants continue being who they are, who they've proven themselves to be, and they kill the beloved son outside the vineyard. In verse 16, you can like feel the tension rise in the air. Remember, our setting is Jesus is saying this in the temple to the leaders who are asking him, by what authority do you do this? So Jesus says this vineyard owner is going to come and destroy these tenants who've killed his beloved son and give this vineyard to others. And then look at how the crowd, the leaders respond. Just, it's like they don't get it. It goes over their head. Surely not. There's an exclamation mark. Or you could translate it, may this never be. We would never do something like this, Jesus. But Jesus looks directly at them and what does he do? What's he say in verse 17? He quotes again from the Old Testament from Psalm 118 and he applies it right to them, right to their heart. The same Psalm 118 the people had just been praising him with in his triumphal entry. Jesus quotes Psalm 118 verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus says this cornerstone will crush those who do not receive it. You'll be broken to pieces by it, and it will crush you when it falls on you. So by saying he is the cornerstone of Psalm 118, Jesus is saying he is this stone. He is the stone of judgment that crushes unbelief. Really, he's the judgment stone from back in Daniel chapter 2. The Old Testament is coming to fruition right here and into clarity of who Jesus is, and it's answering the question of where he gets his authority. And also, there's so many layers to this. Also, by saying he's the cornerstone, when you look at Psalm 118, we don't have time for it today, but just in summary, he's saying he's the essence of Psalm 118, of Psalm 118 that's about the Messiah. He's saying that I'm the cornerstone who's come to be the sacrifice and the altar. Jesus is saying he is the cornerstone and he's the capstone of a coming new and better temple, right? He says this directly to these leaders, answering their question about who do you think you are? What kind of authority do you have? So again, where does Jesus get his authority? How does Jesus answer this question? Jesus is saying he has this kind of authority because that's who he is. First, let's not miss it in Jesus' story. Remember, he's answering their question with this story. He's two of these things in this story. So back in chapter 3, verse 22 in Luke, remember the father looks down at the son and says, this is my beloved son. Well, here's it by accident in this parable that Jesus identifies himself as a beloved son who's come to be killed outside the vineyard. So Jesus gets his authority because he's the beloved son who came to be killed outside the vineyard for the undeserving. And then second, Jesus has authority because he is the cornerstone. So, so think about those dynamics again about authority, right? So like how any of us in this room, 
maybe you have authority in some area of your life, whether work, home, school, whatever, right? How did you get that authority? Did you say, I'm the boss at work, and like, great, you're the boss, everybody follows you. No, your authority is conferred on you. It's given to you, right? You have to accept authority by an authority over you. Where does Jesus get his authority from? Jesus is actually authority itself. There's nothing outside of him that gives him authority. He's the owner and possessor of it. That's what he's telling these people here who are asking the question, what gives you the authority to do this? He's like, I am authority. That's what he's saying here in the temple. And again, God's word is crystal clear. Jesus is authority because it's his identity, because he is the beloved son and the cornerstone. So everything rises and falls on Jesus. Jesus. Remember the cornerstone? It's the crushing cornerstone. Jesus is saying everything rises and falls on me about how you either welcome Jesus' authority or you reject his authority. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. Now let's look at the last part of our passage, and then we're going to explore the responses in our passage. Let's look at what Jesus does and says in verses 19 through 26, and we're going to see just how complete Jesus' authority is, okay? It's not just a religious authority. So Jesus is presented with another question in verse 22 to try and catch and destroy him, the text says. What's the question that he's asked? A question about government, politics, money, and taxes. Nothing new under the sun. The question to Jesus is, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Wow, they've really cooked up a doozy of a question here, right? So again, a question about taxes. If Jesus answers no, he's going to be taken to the authorities of Rome, right? They think, aha, we got you. If you say no, you get put in jail and punished. If he says yes, he'll be rejected by his people who did not want to be occupied by the Romans. The leaders think they've trapped Jesus. And what does Jesus answer? Again, we've probably heard this story. You grew up in Sunday school, but let's just press into what Jesus is really saying here. Jesus asks them, hey, show me a coin, right? They give him a coin. It has a picture of Caesar on it. And in verse 25, Jesus says this famous line, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Wow, what a statement about authority. The answer to their question that Jesus gives them, it shows just how complete, how total, how all-encompassing his authority is. The coin, someone pulled out of their pocket, he says, yeah, that coin and what it signifies, that belongs to Caesar because it has Caesar's picture on it. And then he's saying everything is mine because we're made in the image of God. You see what Jesus is saying about his authority here. Jesus is saying that the authority of a king or a government then and today, it's a delegated authority is what he's saying. The authorities of this world have a small a next to their name. They're small a authorities. Jesus is saying here, God is capital A authority. He is the authority of authorities. All others have delegated authority. So Luke 20, it's answering that question again about Jesus's authority. And it's saying that there is nothing outside the authority of Jesus. Not even Caesar, the most powerful ruler in the world at that time that we still learn about in history books, right? Not even Caesar is above Jesus's authority. Everyone and everything is subordinate to Jesus. 
So this is moving us to the second point. The second question is, and there's not really a neutral position with Jesus when you look at what Jesus is doing here in the responses. His authority demands a response, but the question really is, well, what kind of response? And again, you'll either rise or fall on Jesus. You're either going to flourish with Jesus as the foundation of your life, as your authority, or you're going to be destroyed by Jesus as the cornerstone. That's what God's word is saying right in front of us. He's either your savior, he's the beloved son who's come to save you as undeserving, or ultimately Jesus is your judge and you'll be crushed by him, crushed by a heavy cornerstone. That's what Jesus says, okay? Anything else and you're putting words in Jesus's mouth. That's right here in God's word in front of us. So what in our text is the response to who Jesus is and this kind of authority? And what I want to do is we're going to see that, and then we're also going to apply that to us today, okay? So our second point is what are ways we resist the authority of Jesus? So again, we've seen that Jesus' authority, it's clear and complete. It's total. But then look at the responses to his authority in our text. And again, we're going to look at these responses, and um, I'm not trying to um, manipulate the text, or I don't want you to come away feel like, man, I got beaten down by this. It's a hard word, but it's going to show us the, the center of reality and who Jesus is, okay? Because when we look at these responses, if we're being really honest, we have to see ourselves in these responses too. Because aren't we prone to use authority to serve ourselves rather than Jesus? That's what these authorities are doing. We're going to see here in a minute. And don't we also look for ways to avoid and resist the authority of Jesus in our lives? So remember that quote I shared earlier from Ryan in the office? If we're being really honest, aren't we all kind of like that? We just want authority when we feel like it and when we like it. We want authority that serves us because we want to be the true authority. So in our text, again, maybe you're familiar, familiar with this, maybe you're not, but look at the continual responses to the authority of Jesus. And it's never like a neutral or a benign response. It's like, yeah, Jesus, you do you, that's cool. Nope, not at all. When they really see who Jesus is, there is a strong response towards him. And the reason why the, the leaders are always trying to catch and destroy Jesus, it's because they're trying to resist him. They're not welcoming him, they're resisting him. And to summarize, it's because they're always focused on themselves, right? What does the text say? They want to avoid being stoned. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to send spies out to catch him in an answer and destroy him. Because Jesus, the authority of Jesus, really, was over and against their perceived identity, security, significance, and comfort. Jesus confronted that, and they responded violently. Look at verses 47, 48 and then verses 19 and 20 in chapter 20. The leaders, the people, representative of all of us as sinners, resist Jesus out of concern for their own status, their own reputation, and their own self-preservation. The authority of Jesus makes them angry to the point they conspired to catch him in something he said. They were checking Jesus' tweets right? Like, oh, we're going to cancel you, Jesus. They didn't want to just cancel Jesus. They wanted to kill him, okay? That's the violence of their response. 
and the extent of their resistance, it's seen really vividly in verses 19 and 20, again with the question about taxes. Okay, if you have familiarity with the text, I don't want that to blind us to what Jesus is really saying and what's happening here. So uh, Mark chapter 12, it's the parallel account here of what's happening, and it shows the they here that we see in front of us in verse 20. It's two groups of people that united in their hatred of Jesus. It's the Pharisees and the Herodians. So these two groups, and again, maybe you're like, yeah, Mike, this isn't a history lesson. I don't care. Well, uh, entertain me for a minute and hear this because it's going to help, okay? So the Pharisees resisted Jesus because he was basically disrupting their religious agenda. Who are you to come into the temple and tell us how to do our work, right? And this group, the Herodians, they rejected Jesus because Jesus threatened their political arrangements. Jesus' opponents here, they're trying to force him, really. They're trying to force him to choose between revolution or accommodation. They're trying to force him into a binary decision. You're either this or you're this. They wanted Jesus to serve their authority and their agenda, and Jesus was having none of it. So I'm not trying to be too confrontational or clickbaity, but really this is how this is going to land on us today. In some ways, okay, in some ways, this would be similar to if hardcore Republicans and hardcore Democrats work together in our day to trap Jesus. That's what's happening here, okay? To make Jesus serve a political authority. Well, what have we seen about the nature of Jesus' authority? Is it under anyone else's authority? No. So we have to ponder this and reflect on this to really feel the weight of the extent of the resistance to Jesus' authority here in our passage. Again, the resistance really wasn't about what Jesus was saying or even what he was doing. They could find a way to put up and manipulate that, right? To spin it. The core question is, and what produced this type of resistance, the issue is the authority of Jesus. And the resistance to Jesus' authority fuels the questions in our passage. But again, God's word is so awesome how it does this. It peels back the layers to show these weren't honest sincere searching questions, right? These were questions intended to evade and distract from the truth of Jesus's authority. Questions that seek to make Jesus's authority serve someone else's authority and their agenda. And again, if we're being honest and we want to be an honest church because of the gospel, if we're being honest, aren't we sometimes hesitant to welcome Jesus's authority in our lives? Don't we also find ways to resist the authority of Jesus in our hearts? Can't we be similar to who we're seeing here in our text in our unbelief? And if you were to diagnose this hesitancy and this resistance to Jesus' authority, if you even had such an ability, right? Maybe there was like a, an MRI for your heart and you could see what was really happening to this resistance of Jesus in your heart to his authority, Maybe the authority of Jesus to you in your heart of hearts, maybe his authority feels too exclusive or extensive for you. We can be on board with Jesus when he doesn't interfere with the plans we have for our lives. We like Jesus, I like Jesus, when he supports what I support, when Jesus is on brand, right? When Jesus is on brand for you, oh yeah, I like Jesus, I'm okay with his authority. 
when his kingdom looks a lot like our kingdom. When our version of Jesus doesn't make demand on our lives, yep, I'm cool with Jesus' authority. As soon as you start pushing demands on my life, that's when I have an issue with Jesus' authority. We're okay with Jesus' authority, bottom line, when it doesn't confront us. Okay, again, if we're just being really honest, when Jesus serves us and our preferences and our people and our politics, I'm cool with Jesus' authority. When it starts getting into that realm, ooh, there's hesitancy and there's resistance. We like the Jesus, basically, that we've made into our image. Me too. That's what's happening here in our text. That's what they're trying to do. That's the heart of the response to Jesus here. We're okay with a Jesus that can even be admired but not worshipped. The core issue is the authority of Jesus. But our text today, doesn't it lovingly confront us with the true reality of Jesus' authority, the essence of his authority, the character of his authority? His authority is good, glorious, and gracious, and it really demands a worshipful response, not a response of hesitancy or violent resistance, but submission of joy, of Jesus is who he said he is, and that's good news for me. And when you look at these responses to Jesus, again, there's no neutrality with Jesus. There's no middle ground to his authority. And yet, again, we're being honest, and maybe this is just me, but yeah, Mike, that's just you. Don't we all seek to add or subtract to who Jesus is? Remember back at the beginning of verse 20, Jesus cleanses the temple, and what's he doing? He's preaching the gospel. Like, that's amazing, right? The gospel from the Old Testament at that point in time is he's looking ahead to, to the cross, right? And his resurrection and ascension. He's preaching the gospel there. But don't we also try to subtract or add to that same gospel to make it fit our preferences again? Because the authority of Jesus, we have an issue with. But God's word is graciously confronting us today. This gospel that Jesus was preaching in the temple, if it's added to or subtracted from, it's really no gospel at all. And the reason we try to do that sometimes in our heart of hearts is because we have a problem with the authority of Jesus. But the authority of Jesus means he's the answer, right? So many questions in our text. The authority of Jesus means he is the answer to these questions and the questions behind the questions. Because Jesus is more true than our questions, whatever the motives of your heart are of your questions, and he's more certain than our doubts. There should be a quote up here on the slide by pastor and author Tim Keller, who I think said it well. He says, Jesus didn't come to tell us the answers to the questions of life. He came to be the answer. That's the essence of Jesus' authority. He's the answer to our questions. So this brings us to the third point in our passage today, and that's who is your authority, right? This decision, um, this passage leaves us somewhere. It takes us somewhere. We can't just have it be water in passing through one end of the pipe and out the other, okay? We have to respond to this. So remember what we talked about. The Bible talks about authority. It's something that's over us, and it's something that's underneath us. Authority is a foundation in each of our lives. It's either a foundation that brings flourishing, like what the beloved son brings, or it's a foundation that brings destruction, like the cornerstone that crushes unbelief. The strength of a foundation, it might be known, right? It might not be known for a long time. 
but it's always going to come out, right? Whether it be a foundation, maybe for those of you that have looked at houses and you think, oh, I love this house. Then you get the inspection report. You're like, nope, passing on that. That's a bad foundation. We all know a good foundation is critical. But for a while, you'll be two different houses. They both look great. One has a good foundation. One has a bad one. Eventually, the bad foundation will have consequences. So the strength of a foundation is really key because when we think about Jesus as the cornerstone, that's the cornerstone of a foundation, it's really important we have good authority in our lives, just like a good foundation. And, and um, as I've been thinking about this text, as I've been reflecting on it, I feel compelled pastorally to apply this in a particular way to each of our hearts and our church. And to me, this brings up a concern about the issue of authority and how we're all prone to seek and trust other things for authority in our lives than Jesus. Maybe everyone right now, like you can nod your head. No, Jesus is my authority. Yeah, me too. I'm nodding my head. But really, like, functionally, practically, maybe we're bored with Jesus, and you seek other things for the authority in your life. Especially, like, again, if we're being honest, in these past few years, when so much change around us in our culture, so much division, so much angst, like, we want certainty. We want authority, don't we? Right? But Jesus is highlighting here, he's the only authority we can build our lives on that won't disappoint us. We want authority that's going to help settle our anxious hearts. And it's easy to find that on your phone or a few clicks on YouTube or a podcast that sounds really good. And it's going to make everything crystal clear and bring authority into your life. But it's not. It's going to disappoint you. It's a foundation that will crumble on you. Again, authority really matters. We see that here in our text. Jesus is authority. Authority matters. It shapes us and how we see the world around us. The authority you trust, really the authority that you plant your hopes in, it matters. It really matters because you become like what you worship. And if the authority you trust to help you make sense of the world, again, if it adds to or subtracts from the gospel of who Jesus is, that authority will eventually, at bare minimum, disappoint you if not crush you, okay? So authority really matters in our lives here. And then think about, again, authority, it's over us and it's under us. As we kind of move to a close, think about just our experience again with authority. How's it often used in our world and how do you often use authority? Isn't really our experience with authority more authority is used for self-interest and self-preservation? It's kind of me-centered, Right? If we're seeing that in our text and in the world around us today and in our own hearts. The kind of authority we see isn't like the authority we see here in our text of who Jesus is. Think about the authority that Jesus is saying, I am authority, Jesus is saying, because I'm like this. And what are the two examples again? Because Jesus is the beloved son and because he's the cornerstone. And again, in our passage, what is Jesus' authority driving him to do? What's on the horizon in front of Jesus in our text? He's on his way to the cross, right? He's in the temple pointing to, here's why I came, here's who I am, and this is why I have all authority. We've seen that Jesus has authority again because he's the beloved son who came to die for the undeserving. Jesus is going to be nailed to a cross by unbelievers who had a problem with the authority of Jesus, and yet he joyfully 
went to the cross. That's how his authority is used. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says he lays his life down. And listen to what Jesus says about his authority. This is John 10. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So what kind of authority dies? Only Jesus. It's what we're seeing here in our text. Jesus is the only, sacri- only authority who sacrificed himself on a cross. The only authority who gave himself up to take your sin, the penalty you deserve, deserve, and to give you life everlasting. That's the kind of authority Jesus is. The only authority who is really filled with grace and truth. The kind of authority who's proven himself. So if, if you're not here, or you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're you know, joining us online, I, I'm really glad that you're hearing this message. I hope it's clear to you who Jesus is. And I pray that you'll respond to the authority of Jesus by repenting of your sin and believing in him. And for those of us here in this room uh, who are Christians, I pray that's our same response. That we repent of our sin, of not wanting Jesus' authority, and that we believe again in the goodness of his authority because he's the beloved son and the cornerstone. And again, I just want to leave us with this. So Jesus has authority because he's the beloved son son and he's the cornerstone he's the only authority worth building your life on okay when he's the cornerstone that's what we should press into jesus is the new temple he's the chief cornerstone of the church where those who worship jesus us in this room are being made into living stones so the idea of cornerstone has so many different layers to it and just points us again to how good jesus is and the type of authority he is in our lives So everything rises and falls on the authority of Jesus. And Jesus shows us a better way, right, about authority. And how he does that is Jesus shows us himself. There should be a slide here by John Stott who said it well. The modern world, us, detests authority but worships relevance. Our Christian conviction is that the Bible has both authority and relevance, and that the secret of both is Jesus Christ. So authority rises and falls on Jesus. Your life rises and falls on the authority of Jesus. Only the authority of Jesus will save you and give you the certainty, the safety, the purpose, the satisfaction, and the beauty all of us long for. Only Jesus used his authority to be the beloved son and to be the cornerstone. Only the authority of Jesus is worth building our life on. So let me close this in prayer. Father, we praise you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We praise you only through Jesus. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. Lord, we praise you for the gospel. We confess and repent of our sin of not fully trusting in the authority of Jesus, of building our lives on other authorities. Lord, I pray that you will make us a joyful and humble people in view of your authority, in view of your glory and your grace. Father, make us a church who seeks to know you and to make you known to a world that desperately needs your gracious authority. I praise you that the authority of Jesus has a sentness to it. 
you tell us in Matthew 28 that you commission your people to go and make disciples of all people because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Jesus, you alone are worthy of our worship. We praise you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.